0: City. WLCC Brandon
1: Faith Talk Tampa Download the Faith Talk Tampa app Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey
2: The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries And is pre-recorded
1: Do you know uh, in the early church It says in Acts chapter 1 Beginning in verse 12 through 15 That after he ascended to go back to the father the the early church met as they were waiting for the fullness of the holy spirit to come and there was only about 120 of them think about that after 3 years of ministering all around israel that's it 120 A- and the best of them as i said were 11 fearful uneducated slow to understand slow to believe men the apostles that's it
2: even though that small group of 120 people was the entire church They had been first-hand witnesses of the risen Christ and been challenged to follow Him. They were an obedient fellowship of believers who were following Jesus' command to tarry in Jerusalem until they would be endowed with power by the Holy Spirit. What a prayer meeting that must have been. You have tuned in to a daily radio Bible class called Verse by Verse. Thank you for being here. Pastor Steve Kreloff is our teacher. He has been pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel for over 30 years. The church is located at 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater. That's about halfway between Highway 19 and the beaches. Steve would love to welcome you at a service sometime. Visit their website at lakesidechapel.com to learn more about the church and service times. Lakeside Chapel is also home to a great Christian K-12 school that teaches a biblical worldview. That's lakesidechapel.com. The leadership of Lakeside recently presented Pastor Steve with a new book containing some of the best of his sermons he has delivered over the past 30 years of his ministry. The book is entitled Timeless Truths from a Faithful Shepherd. Verse by Verse is happy to offer a copy of this 207-page book to anyone who will send in a gift of any size to Verse by Verse. The address is... Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. Call us at 727-239-0306 if you have any questions. Now let's get to class as Pastor Steve continues explaining the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven from Matthew 13.
1: Now before we examine this, and there's a lot more to see... I want to just take a and address a side issue to help strengthen your faith because there are critics in the Bible who have come along and used this statement that Jesus said about the mustard seed being smaller than all other seeds. They say that that proves that the Bible has errors. And maybe you've, you've heard this. Maybe some of you are not familiar with it. But, but the reason they say that is because it is a well-known fact that there are other seeds such as the wild orchid seed that is smaller than a mustard seed. Therefore, they say either Jesus didn't know this fact, which means, if that's the case, that he's not the all-knowing God that he claimed to be, or else they say he did know this fact and deliberately said something false, erroneous, in order to accommodate the ignorance of these first-century Jewish people. So in either case, they say, it proves the untrustworthiness of Scripture, and of Christ Himself. Folks, this is a very critical issue. It's not a side issue. It may be a side issue for us just studying this parable, but it is a critical issue to our faith because if Jesus wasn't accurate about all things, even tiny mustard seeds, then how can we trust Him to be accurate about eternal matters that affect our soul's destiny? The very inerrancy of Christ and Scripture is at stake here. So how do we respond to those critics of the Bible who claim that that this is an error? Are they right? Did Jesus make a mistake? No, not at all. They're wrong. Jesus was absolutely correct. Let me explain. He was absolutely correct in what he said about the mustard seed because, first of all, the word that is translated seed refers only to seeds sown in an agricultural manner, not talking about something that's wild, but something that is intentionally sown in an agricultural manner. In other words, in using the word seed, Jesus is referring to something that is planted as a crop in a field or a garden and not something that grows wild. See, while it's true that other seeds were smaller than mustard seeds, they were all wild seeds and would not have been planted as a crop. So, that, so when Jesus said that the mustard seed was the smallest of all seeds, he meant that it was the smallest of all planted seeds. And that was absolutely a 100% accurate statement. Secondly, we have to keep in mind that Jesus was, was talking and ministering within a first-century Jewish framework. He, he wasn't giving them a lecture on botany about all plant life that would eventually take place on this planet. See, tobacco seeds are actually smaller than mustard seeds, but tobacco is a modern plant of American origin that would be discovered centuries later. Jesus was simply stating to those Jewish people of his day that the small seeds that they planted were mustard seeds. That's absolutely true. Listen, don't let the critics of the Bible shake your faith with accusations against Christ's integrity. The Lord Jesus can be absolutely trusted to speak the truth on all matters. And the Bible is absolutely inerrant and infallible, from mustard seeds to eternal salvation. Therefore, we can trust the accuracy of what Christ had to say about all things, and that includes what he had to say about the mustard seed being like the kingdom of heaven. So, the point that the Lord was making in comparing the mustard seeds of the kingdom of heaven is that they're both very small and very insignificant looking. However, that's not all he had to say, and that's not all of the, the picture of this comparison. Notice how the remainder of verse 32 reads. It says, and this is smaller than all other seeds, but when it is full grown, it is larger Then the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. You see, here's the thing about a mustard seed it may start off very small, very tiny, but it doesn't stay small. It doesn't stay tiny. It grows to be such a large shrub that it actually takes on the properties of a tree so that its branches are so strong and so sturdy that birds can actually come there and nest and stay in that tree. It's a known fact that mustard plants in Israel often grow to a height of 12 to 15 feet, and it is not uncommon to have birds nest in its branches. And so Jesus compared his kingdom to a mustard seed because they they resembled each other. They're very similar in the sense that they both started off small, and and very insignificant, unimpressive looking, but they grew into something large, significant, and very impressive. Now, that's basically what the parable says. And that's exactly how the Jewish people of our Lord's Day would have understood it. They, they would have gotten it. But what does it mean? We have to understand the spiritual and deeper meaning here to get the point. So what does the parable of the mustard seed mean? You know what it says. What does it mean? Interesting... When we're studying these parables, we are not given anywhere in Scripture an explanation by Christ of his interpretation for these parables. We did have that. We did have his infallible interpretation explaining the meaning of the parable of the sower. We did have his infallible interpretation explaining the meaning of the parable of the wheat and tares. But there is no explanation given here by the Lord about what this parable means. And there's a good reason for that. It's not that hard to understand. It's self-explanatory. The main truth of this parable was obvious to his disciples, and it'll be very obvious to you in just a moment. What Jesus wanted his disciples to understand about the nature of his present-day kingdom was simply this, that like the mustard seed, it would only start off looking small and insignificant, but it would eventually grow into something that was enormous and very significant. Let me try to put this in perspective for you. During Christ's earthly ministry, His kingdom started out with a handful of people, and a motley crew they were. When you think about this, we we did a study um, sometime back about the first apostles, about the apostles, the first disciples. They were an obscure, small, very unimpressive group of men, mostly Fishermen, they were theologically uneducated. They were slow to understand. They were not the, the sharpest knives in the drawer, as we would say. Um, I'm always reminded of, of Philip, who I don't think was the brightest guy, who said after three years, Lord, show us the Father. And, and you just can hear Jesus sighing, Philip, how long have I been with you? How, how, you're not getting it yet? I mean, these were not the sharpest guys. They, they had little faith. They did not comprehend things. They had to have things explained over and over again. They were constantly arguing about who was greatest in the kingdom. This was the nucleus of the early church. That's how the kingdom started. That's, Jesus called them in Luke 12, 32, his little flock. That's really a bit of an understatement, little flock. The people who followed him were not the prestigious elite of Israel, the multitudes didn't, didn't really flock to him. They, they Not as disciples, they came to get free food and healing, have demons cast out, but they were not willing to commit themselves to him. Do you know, uh, in the early church, it says in Acts chapter 1, beginning verse 12 through 15, that after he ascended to go back to the Father. The, the early church met as they were waiting for the fullness of the Holy Spirit to come. There was only about 120 of them. Think about that. After three years of ministering all around Israel, that's it, 120. And, and the best of them, as I said, were 11 fearful, uneducated, slow to understand, slow to believe men, the apostles. That's it. As someone said, a modern church of that size is thought to be quite small, yet that was the nucleus of the early church. So, think about the whole earthly ministry of our Lord, just like a tiny mustard seed, small, insignificant in appearance. Jesus, after all, came preaching to Israel that he was their king and the kingdom had arrived. He said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But nobody took his kingdom really seriously. Nobody, except this little handful, it looked pathetic, it looked irrelevant. This was a king who was born in an obscure region of the Roman Empire. He spent his life among simple and uncultured people in a rather low grade town in Galilee called Nazareth. Remember what Nathanael said about Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Even amongst the Jewish people it didn't have much of a reputation. In fact, Christ's kingdom was so small and insignificant looking that his enemies didn't even recognize that it existed. Look with me at Luke chapter 17. I just want you to see when Jesus said it's like a mustard seed, that's exactly what it was. Nobody took note of it. In Luke 17, this is really interesting. It says in verse 20, Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, they didn't even realize that it was there. He answered them and said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. He said, for behold, the kingdom of of God is in your midst. It already exists in my handful of unimpressive looking disciples, and they didn't even see it. So his enemies didn't even know that it was here. You talk about small. It's exactly what it was. And not even his own disciples got it. Remember in Acts Chapter 1, verse 6, just as the Lord is about to ascend from the Mount of Olives, go back to the Father, the disciples, the apostles, say to him, Lord, will you at this time restore to Israel the kingdom? Now we understand what they were talking about. They thought only of the inauguration of the messianic kingdom, that glorious large-scale kingdom. That's all they thought about. They they were still looking for the grandeur of his visible earthly kingdom. They failed to see that they were the start of the kingdom. They were it, and they didn't even realize it. So Jesus was absolutely correct. His kingdom really did start off rather obscure, just like a tiny mustard seed, unimpressive looking. However, the point that he was making in this parable was that though small and unimpressive now, his kingdom wasn't going to remain like that. It would grow to something that would be very large scale. Because just like the mustard seed, it would grow into something so large that many would take refuge in it, just like, notice this, just like the birds nesting in a sturdy tree that was once a small mustard seed. In other words, Jesus was encouraging his disciples to understand that though his kingdom was minuscule looking now, it wouldn't stay small. It would grow into something that would have an impact, watch this, on a wide world scale. It would impact the entire Now, I want you to see this. I want you to notice something that's important. Jesus didn't say that his kingdom was like a mustard seed in the sense that it would just grow. He actually said it would grow and become so large and so sturdy that the birds of the air would come and nest in its branches. Now, why did Jesus say that? He didn't need to to have that imagery there. He could have just said it would be large. But he spoke about birds nesting in it. There are some Bible teachers who will say, and they insist on this, that just because Jesus spoke of birds in a negative way in the first parable, the parable of the sower, when he said that the birds represent Satan, who swoops in and snatches away the seed of the, uh, of the word, so they say that every time you see birds in a parable, in, in any parable, it has to be in a negative way. I, I don't think so. I, I reject that. There is no indication in this parable that the birds represent anything evil. They did it in another parable, but not in this parable. As someone has pointed out, the figure of birds making nests normally calls to mind that which is positive and helpful. Nesting carries the thought of protection, safety, refuge, and sanctuary, while the mother bird provides for her young. So normally, when there's an imagery of birds, it's in a positive sense, unless noted otherwise. But there's something more. Remember, the Lord was speaking to Jewish people. Jewish people who, who, unlike Jewish people today, really did understand their Old Testament. What would have come to their mind if a Jewish person heard of a kingdom and birds together resting on their branches? There's only one thing that would have come to their mind. Let me show you this. Daniel chapter 4. In Daniel chapter 4 we're given the imagery of a kingdom with birds that nest in it. It is is the kingdom of a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of the greatest empire of his day, the empire of Babylon, the Babylonian empire. And we read in, in Daniel chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, about this dream, this vision that Nebuchadnezzar had. Here's what it says. Verse 11, the tree grew large and became strong and its height reached to the sky and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its foliage was beautiful and its fruit abundant and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it and the birds of the sky dwelt in its branches and all living creatures fed themselves from it. So you understand that Nebuchadnezzar had this dream or this vision in which he saw a tree with branches going out and birds and other animals taking refuge in it. Now, nobody in his kingdom knew how to interpret this. But there was a man by the name of Daniel, a prophet of God. And as the chapter goes on to say, Daniel was able to give the correct interpretation of this dream. He gives it in verses 20 and following. We read this. He tells Nebuchadnezzar, the tree that you saw, which became large and grew strong, whose height reached the sky, and was visible to all the earth, and whose foliage was beautiful, and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which the, the beasts of the field dwelt, and in whose branches the birds of the sky lodged, it is you, O king, for you have become great and grown strong, and your majesty has become great and reached to the sky and your dominion to the end of the earth. What Daniel was telling Nebuchadnezzar is that you are this kingdom. You are this tree. Your kingdom has become so great, Nebuchadnezzar, that it brought many great things to other nations all around the, the world. In other words, the birds that dwelt in the branches of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom were the nations of the world that benefited from his kingdom. It's, it's true that the Babylonian Empire took a lot of lives and was brutal, but the nations of the world as a whole did benefit from this kingdom. How? They benefited in the sense that this, his kingdom brought advancement to the other nations in the field of economics, of education, art, farming, etc. On and on it went. It, it really did benefit the other nations. And by the way, in Ezekiel 31 6, we're given the precise same imagery about another kingdom, the kingdom of Assyria, that, that is represented as a tree with branches going out and birds nesting in it. If you want to look that up on your own, you can. That's Ezekiel 31, verse 6. So what is the point that Jesus was making in stating that, that birds are going to nest in the branches of his kingdom? It's this, same point, same point that the Babylonian and Assyrian kingdom had. Jesus wanted his disciples to understand that his kingdom was going to start off small, unrecognizable, like a tiny mustard seed with just a handful of very unimpressive followers, but it would grow into a glorious and great kingdom bringing, watch this, untold blessings and benefits to those who would come under its influence. And folks, that's exactly what has happened in history, and it happens today. Within 40 years of Christ's death and resurrection, the gospel had reached all the major cultural centers of the Roman Empire. And today, Christ's kingdom has spread literally to the ends of the earth. No matter where you go in the world, there are believers. In my limited travels in the world, I have always come across the church of Jesus Christ. Even in Papua New Guinea, there are believers Sitting around worshiping the Lord, no matter where you go. And when believers live in obedience to the Word of God, they do become great blessings to the nations of the world that they live in hell. When they are obedient to the Word of God, believers have the strongest marriages, they raise children who are respectful and obedient. They lift the moral standards of their society. They demonstrate compassion and kindness to those who are hurting. They are the most productive workers. They are the model citizens who respect and obey government's authorities, on and on, untold blessings. When believers are obedient to the Word of God, they do bring blessings to their society. Listen, it is a fact of life that wherever the gospel of Christ has gone, society has benefited, always Because historically, it has been Christians who have worked at abolishing slavery, especially in England, bringing about justice and prison reforms, enhancing educational levels of the culture. Christians are usually the ones in the culture to establish hospitals and and medical clinics. They're the ones who address the rights of children, the dignity of women, and countless other benefits that come from being exposed to the Judeo-Christian ethic. Wherever the kingdom is, it has brought blessing to society. So why did Jesus tell his disciples this parable about the mustard seed? Simply because he wanted them to understand that in spite of being so few in in number and being opposed by Satan, his kingdom would grow into something, something special, something so large that it would cover the world and have a global impact and folks you and I need to be encouraged by the same truth sometimes we do feel like we're very alone i was talking to a christian leader recently and he, and he said to me he said you know it just gets so lonely and i understand that but you're not alone you're not alone you are part of of something that is bigger than what we we realize and and sometimes people kind of get uh, just locked into their own into their church and thinking well that's that's all that that we really are it's just just us in a church, but no, it, you're part of a vast kingdom, reaches around the, the globe. You may feel at times a bit overwhelmed by living in a world that's very hostile to Christians, Christ, and Christianity, but you are part of that vast kingdom that stretches around the world. A kingdom that has bestowed blessings upon believers and unbelievers wherever it has gone. So, this is the point of the parable. It is intended to bring encouragement. We may be small, but the kingdom is large. We may, may have started off being unimpressive, but we will have an impressive way of influencing people.
2: And the Church of Jesus Christ continues to grow around the world, especially in areas where Christians are persecuted for their faith. How true the predictions of Jesus are that his kingdom would become a great tree where followers would find a safe refuge of hope for the trials of life. Again, we say thank you for listening to Verse by Verse today. Thanks also for your faithful prayer and financial support. This program is sustained by the gifts of interested listeners like you who give and pray regularly. To show our appreciation, we are offering the book Timeless Truths from a Faithful Shepherd free to anyone who sends in a gift of any size to Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida 33758. You may also contribute online by going to versebyverseradio.org. You can call us at 727-239-0306. And our email address is contact at versebyverseradio.org.